Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. Thanks for listening, what's, everybody. What's going on, Robbie? Uh, nothing. It's been a while since we've done one. Uh, we have a little goal on Patreon right now um, that if we get $500 per creation, we reach that goal. Um, we're going to release four episodes a month. Uh, some of them will probably be solo episodes, but that's that's the goal we're trying to reach right now. We we realize, you know, two episodes a month is not ideal. There are a lot of people who want us to release more, so we're trying to shoot for that right now. Um, yeah, yeah, no, and thank you so much, everyone, for donating. Um, it's incredible to see so many people support the show, and, you know, it was really great seeing all the comments and, and ratings on iTunes and... Remember, you can get the show on Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud, and um, check out our Patreon, like Robbie's saying, and um, please support our work. Yeah. So we've been we've been both very busy. I've been doing um, all of the coverage for Venezuela, coming back from Caracas, and putting together these episodes. Three episodes are out from the ground um, so far. Everyone should check them out. One is an interview with the economics minister. Another one is the front lines of the Guarimba protests. Um, we have an entire podcast, about an hour and a half, just breaking down the whole trip, everything that happened. Robbie interviews me about the trip. So check out that radio show and also check out um, our on-the-ground coverage because, Robbie, I, I think the most shocking thing about this is, you know, the regime change propaganda is not just being echoed throughout corporate media. It's also being completely echoed throughout progressive media, trusted leftist outlets like Democracy Now!, Jacobin, a, a so-called socialist publication. Don't even, I mean, it's just shocking. They 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 have painted the most absurd one-sided narrative about Venezuela, completely abandoning any sort of solidarity with the Bolivarian revolution or any sort of anti-imperialist stance. Um, and, and, you know, Democracy Now! falls in line time and again we can't ever really depend on democracy now for their coverage when it comes to combating U.S. interventions. I mean, it's the same thing with Syria, Libya. I don't know how they were on Iraq. Um, and I don't know where Jacobin has stood on any of that. But all I know is that to, you know, do hit pieces on Telesaur and consistently do hit pieces on Venezuela and talk about how authoritarian the government is and how they're just as big of a problem as the opposition, I think is super harmful. Um, so if people are really confused about what's going on in Venezuela, please take it from someone who has no reason to lie at all about what's going on and went there for three weeks and has reported exactly what I see. So check out these episodes. One of them is going in a supermarket, showing the reality there. Um, took a hidden camera into a black market currency exchange. So very interesting stuff. Check it out. Um, and Robbie, you've been doing some cool stuff too. Well, not as not as cool as you. <laughs> but yeah, your your reports have been extremely inspiring and some of the most balanced media coverage that I've ever seen, which is, you know, for people who know your editorializing in the past and how that was more your, your previous show would be surprised to hear that. But I... I think it's, it's. I mean, it's actually amazing how much mm -hmm. it contrasts with the Western media coverage here. And as you said, Jacobin, um, even people, you know, people who consider themselves to the left, like Matt Taibbi, are writing, in my opinion, shameful pieces, um, embarrassing pieces about Venezuela right now. Um, that yours really stands apart from anything else. It's extremely crucial journalism. So. Um, I commend Thank you, you for Robbie. That. Yeah. Thank you, Robbie. Yeah. I mean, we tried to just really let the story paint 
itself. I mean, I, I really try to um, eliminate any sort of editorial narration or heavy bias uh, like I have in the past because I wanted to let the people speak for themselves because the situation is so convoluted and I wanted people to really just um, take away what, what these people were saying from, from the ground. I mean, these are Venezuelans who are speaking for themselves, their reality, so we should listen to them. Um, and you just did this great interview with this guy. Um, well, talk guys. about this report, yeah. Two guys. So Tom, Tom Secker, um, someone I've known for a while, uh, he, he and I, um, we, we chat sometimes. He's a very smart dude um, who's been working for years uh, freedom of information requests, um, just digging on his own through public records, finding the linkage between Hollywood and the U.S. government. And by that, I mean Hollywood filmmakers working with um, the CIA, the Department of Defense, the Navy. Um, and what's amazing about it is they don't take any speculative leaps except in a few instances and they and they say what they're doing and when i say they i mean mm-hmm. forgot to mention that tom secker co-wrote a book with matthew alford called national security cinema which is the culmination of all this work that they've been doing for the last few years i think they've been actually doing it for over a decade um but it's not it's it's all being compiled into this amazing book it's i think it's actually free on amazon prime on kindle right now if you have Prime, and then it's also only it's only eleven ninety nine paperback. So, I recommend people buy it who have an interest in that subject because it's literally the best thing I've ever seen about this subject. Even if you're just a film buff and you don't know about any of this stuff, it it goes through thousands of different TV shows, films that were in some way in, influenced by direction from a U.S. government agency. And I'll just mention a few examples because they're just things you would have never, you know, thought about. Um, in a lot of these instances, Hollywood wants to work with the military to get, say, for example, a cool shot of an aircraft carrier with helicopters taking off from it. You know, like shots you see in movies like Transformers. How do they get those shots? They don't just pay out of pocket, you know, and, and pay for those shots. They actually get a hugely discounted price on being able to film those shots by making concessions in their own screenplays and their own films. A lot of the time they seem like subtle things, subtle changes, but that have enormous consequences for the way that the audience perceives the military. So for example, even just weird movies you would never think of like Jurassic Park three, there's actually conversation in the book between a, a, a DOD official and the filmmakers of Jurassic Park three where in the script it originally called for an ending where U.S. military aircraft shoot down a, f- a flock of pterodactyls with machine guns uh, in the air. The DOD said, you know, we, we don't want you to do this because it'll make people sympathize with the dinosaurs and get mad at the military. So how about instead of this scene, you replace it with a scene that will do for free of a military beach rescue where we just send like a (laughs) fleet of vehicles, like amphibious vehicles to the beach. Can you imagine how much better Jurassic Park would have been if they killed all the dinosaurs at the end instead of just, Jurassic? so sad. here's Here's the funny part. This censored scene ended up making it into partly into Jurassic World. I'm not sure if you saw mm. Jurassic World, but what, what was the ending of Jurassic World? The pterodactyls escaped the little glass dome 
and a bunch of like military aircraft tries to fight him in the air. So, wow. so sometimes these ideas get censored in the, you know a movie, and then they'll end up later in another movie in like a more watered down form. Um, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, the Tina Fey comedy. There was a scene in the original screenplay where a U.S. government, uh, like Humvee, runs into an Afghan uh, farmer's market and murders a bunch of people accidentally. Uh, the the DOD, um, you know, they needed to film at different air bases for some of these shots. They didn't want to build sets, too expensive, much cheaper to film on an already existing set. So the military was like, look, um, we only had a few problems with the movie, but one of the problems we had is we want you to take out the scene of the mili- U.S. military killing these people at the farmer's market, and we need you to make him an NGO employee. Wow. And they did. They totally did. And, uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. And, I mean, and there are other instances where movies you wouldn't even consider actually were refused government help for completely bizarre things, like Independence Day, uh, seems like the most pro-military movie ever um, on the surface, but in actuality, the government was so angry that they had a scene of Area 51 in it uh, that was like ran by the U.S. government that they refused to help them at all. And they demanded that they either take out that whole middle section completely or that they make it so that Area 51 is like a thing ran by like civilians who secretly found a UFO in the desert and then it's not called Area 51. So that's how, this is how, like, in every movie you've seen, almost every movie you've seen, there's at least some instance of, you know, this happening. If wow. if it involves anything having to do with the military, especially if it's a movie about the government. Um, so very fascinating reading. I, I recommend everybody check it out. Um, it spans all the way from the OSS, pre-CIA days of Hollywood, to... Like right now to the current era, mm-hmm. Zero Dark Thirty and movies like that. So incredible, yeah. Check it out. Uh, and and you have an interview coming up with Port Media Roots Radio about it, right? I do. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, already right. recorded. And what's also great is the book reminds you of Hollywood filmmakers who you might take for granted who actually managed to make incredibly anti-establishment movies with you know without any military assistance. And somehow that slipped through the cracks and got became popular mm-hmm. movies. Paul Verhoeven managed to make one of the most anti-government, anti-corporate movies ever, RoboCop, um, Starship Troopers, which is basically a movie about how uh, a patriotic war to fight aliens inadvertently turns everybody into fascists. Um, so there's all these really, I mean, there are examples of great movies out there that managed to work outside the system. Mm-hmm. Oliver Stone's another example. JFK and Nixon. So, um, yeah, I just I just love the book. I, I haven't been more excited about a book in a very long time. So That's great. That's super great. I'm really excited to hear the interview. Um, of course, there's been several terrorist attacks as well. The G20 in Hamburg. This amazing statistic that the U.S. Empire has killed more civilians just in the last month than all terrorist attacks in Europe have over the last 12 years. I mean, considering just the consistent coverage of, of Europe as this haven for, like, terrorism now, you know, and every other day mm-hmm. it seems like there's another attack, a truck attack, da-da-da, bombing, and it's just a shocking statistic to really put this into perspective that the U.S. government is killing more civilians that yeah. all terrorist attacks have killed people in Europe over the last 15 years. Yeah. Let that sink in. 
And also, I think a lot of people are missing something else that's happening here is that, yeah, Obama was a war criminal and killed a lot of civilians. Um, really, really horrible shit that he did. Mm -hmm. But Trump has loosened the rules of engagement overtly, hidden figures. Like now there's even less accountability with civilian deaths, mm -hmm. more opacity to the, like the way that they, you know, like account for the amount of deaths. And there are way more civilians being killed under Trump than under Obama. Way more. I mean, so this is, this is happening right now. And yet Trump is anti-interventionist. Right. Is it because this is ISIS that people just don't care? No, dude, I've heard people say like, oh, this, this is all happening before Trump got in. All these drone strikes, all the bombings. Really? I mean, how long no, it's ab that's does the president have to be false. in office to say we that the deep state is just somehow carrying out foreign policy without him? No, it's, it's the most, it's so interesting though to think that his people and his sort of media apparatus that I would describe as like controlled opposition narratives have managed to convince a lot of people that that's the case, that somehow he's not in control and all the bad stuff is being done by the deep state. I mean, that it's really disturbing, but that is what people believe now. A lot of, I see a lot of people talking that way still. So crazy. Yeah, there's more quote-unquote terrorist attacks happening now than there used to be, but even still, it's... It's a, really a drop in the bucket. And then at the same time, like, what is so surprising about, like, like I see people posting things from, like, the ISIS magazine or whatever, encouraging people to do, like, stabbings or, like, or like hit and run, like, attacks with vehicles to their, to their ISIS supporters. I mean, is it really that surprising that, I, I guess what bothers me is there's no way to stop terrorism against like soft civilian ter targets mm -hmm. it's not possible if someone wants to do crazy shit to a group of civilians just walking down the street they can always do it there's not like there's nothing look what happened in times square that guy was on spice or whatever and he just mm -hmm. ran ran down like 30 people in times square with his car i mean there's nothing stopping anybody from doing that kind of shit there's nothing stopping an isis person from hitting up a store on Black Friday. All of these things have always been possible. So I just don't understand what how even bombing ISIS into complete non-existence will stop those things. I mean, it just uh, it, it's irrational. I don't I, even if we destroy every single ISIS member in the Middle East, those kind of things will still be possible. Well, yeah, I mean, especially since we're killing hundreds and hundreds of civilians all across the Middle East every month. I mean, 472 civilians were killed from May 23rd to June 23rd. This is just in Syria, by the way. I mean, I don't know how many civilians were killed in all of the other countries that were doing all the, these operations in, but all I know is just in that one month alone, um, 84 children were slaughtered um, in just one little area called Deir Azor, 222 civilian deaths. Raqqa, 250 civilian deaths, 53 children the month before that was 225 civilian deaths i mean so if yeah if we're talking about bombing isis into oblivion i mean you look at Al even al-qaeda's numbers right after 9-11 until today it is a huge organization today whereas we know um in 9-11 it was it was not even an organization it was just a loosely called the base 
Um, we've talked about this multiple times on, on previous episodes, but like this is what bombing countries into oblivion does. You create the safe havens for terrorist groups to form, strengthen, proliferate. Um, so I don't under, I just don't understand um, after so long of doing this in the Middle East, how could we possibly think this is going to be a solution? I mean, it's just shocking how many civilians are dying. And then to see the media cry crocodile tears for like, you know, like the Syrian chemical weapons thing. Oh, we should talk about that too. That was bizarre. Especially since your movie, A Very Heavy Agenda, shows that last run up to the chemical weapons attack in Syria and how the media oh, yeah. was all like pre prog, like pre programming, like telling us there is going to be a chemical weapons attack. Yeah. There is going to be a chemical weapons attack. And we're like, wait, how do you know that? And if you know that, stop it. <laughs> but it just happened. Um, and the same thing where Trump, you know, they released this statement saying, there is going to be an attack, and when there is an attack, it's going to be Assad's fault. Do you want to talk about how weird that was? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was one of the things that I picked up. You know, like, I tend to be, I, I when, I, when I'm like, oh, is this sort of more conspiratorial-sounding narrative true, and it seems true, I tend to be a little more skeptical at it, and, and like, part of me is like, well, let's try to, like, think of a you know, see some counter evidence to this to see if it, it way, you know, it, it still wins out. And in the case of the Syria chemical weapons thing during Obama, like I wasn't sure what had happened. I, I can't, you know, a lot of people are like jumping to the, to this conclusion that it was a complete psyop that, you know, I've even heard people say no one died. It was like people, you know, staging a chemical weapons attack. I, I'm pretty sure people died. I'm pretty sure there was some kind of chemical used. But the narrative falls apart when it comes down to what was the chemical used? Who who launched this attack? If Assad did it, which is what everybody in the West is saying, why would he have done it right after the U.S. was putting all this propaganda into the mainstream media saying that Assad was preparing to launch a gas attack? Like, why would he then go ahead and do it after the media is like setting him up to cross the so-called red line. So, I mean, all of those, but, but it's like, that was, that was the thing I found while making a very heavy agenda is that there was tons of media coverage leading up to that first chemical weapons attack in Syria saying Assad is preparing a chemical weapons attack. How do they know that? How, why wouldn't they stop it at that point? Um, and, it's just very fascinating because it also leaves, it's also a way to encourage other people into doing some kind of chemical attack. So if you're a rebel there who wants more funding and wants to see Assad get taken out, perhaps hearing that on the Western news might actually encourage you to do something like a false flag to implicate Assad. Especially after they say it doesn't matter what happens, we're going to blame Assad. There was like some weird language in there. Where they just said it doesn't like we're Assad's going to be at fault for no matter what happens, and it was like, wait, so even yeah. if it wasn't Assad who did it, you're still going to blame Assad? Like, the and you're talking about the Trump on? administration's yeah, yeah, warning yeah. now, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, everyone was like, oh yeah, like all the Trump, you know, bootlickers were like, oh, it was Ivanka who and, and who trolled Trump into bombing Syria uh, because. Um, she saw the you know dead kids on TV, and it's it's as it's the Jared Kushner, uh, Ivanka like Zionist, deep state <laughs> sect of the <laughs> Trump administration. 
you know, trolling him into bombing Syria. But this time it's pretty obvious that Trump himself is quite sucked into the sort of neocon framing of Syria in the ter- terms of like the chemical weapons fiasco. It's such binary. Um, it's just such binary thinking. It's such tribalism because, mm-hmm. yeah, Hillary Clinton, uh, the the U.S. establishment, the D.C. establishment that wants to go to Russia, war with Russia is horrible. We've been criticizing it for the last three years on this podcast. But so is Trump's administration. It's absolutely horrible and vile. Everything he's doing, you know, despite maybe there was like a few things he did um, that were mildly positive uh, out of hundreds of things he's doing that are absolutely vile and disgusting. Um, So I just don't understand how, why there aren't more people out there who are like, wow, this is, we're in a really fucked situation. Trump is horrible. Hillary Clinton was horrible. The Democrats are horrible. They're paranoid. Um, I just think people need to get out of these camps because we are in a really dangerous situation right now that requires non-tribalistic <laughs> thought, I think, to be able to function. So Right. No, I, I couldn't agree more, Robbie. And before, and I think this is a perfect segue actually to go into just the whole unification like and, and also controlled opposition undermining the resistance, the actual resistance, not the democratic co-optation of the resistance. But before we get into that, do you have anything to say about just the the Hamburg G20 force and like the Antifa? Because I mean, these people are going to point to that and say like, America's next, right? They're already looking to Europe and saying America's next in terms of the terrorist attacks because they've let this influx of immigrants in, which Mm -hmm. we've talked about before is just, it's like, just a completely um, bullshit argument because they dump immigrants into the worst crime in areas anyway. And there aren't but even like, like any terror. I mean, like how many terrorist attacks have there actually been done by like refugees right. who have taken in since the Syrian war? Yeah, totally. I think it's like none of them. <laughs> I mean, isn't that actually true? Yeah, no, I think it's all people who are born and raised in these areas. Yeah. At least the vast majority of them, if they're not being actually handled by the FBI or, you know, forces like the MI6 oh, yeah. and all that shit. S- speaking, I wanted to actually go on a, I wanted to mention really quickly, I actually don't have too much to say about the G20 other yeah. than the amount of like this narrative being spun by the alt-right about how Antifa, look at what these people are doing to their own city, all that That's stuff. That's what it's, I mean, yeah. yeah like, just the fear-mongering about, like, this is next. It's like, Sharia law and Antifa, that's the future of America. Yeah, it's, it's fucking, it's, it's really, really frustrating. Really frustrating. Um, but there was actually something that came out recently by uh, the FBI. That it, hold on, I just need to look it up really quick. Um, it's, do you remember about... Uh, it was less than a year ago. A Milwaukee Muslim guy got caught um, by the FBI, or he was arrested by the FBI for planning a mass shooting in a Masonic temple no, back in I, no. January. No. So the crazy thing is, in recent court documents, when this guy's trial actually started, his name is Sami Muhammad Haz- Hamza. Uh, he's 23 years old. He was arrested back in January of 2016. Um it turns out that it was another FBI informant, like oh entrapment God. style thing. An FBI informant encouraged him to buy the firearms, encouraged almost every step of the way this plot, and then also encouraged the location, the specifically going to this Masonic Lodge, which I thought was a 
bizarre, just a bizarre place to go to tell someone to do a terrorist attack. And one one thing that came to mind, this is just me completely speculating here. But one thing that came to mind is there's a lot of, there was a lot of like Muslim imagery, Arabic imagery, um, Islamic imagery in Freemasonry. And they're very like more knowledgeable about Islam and how it connects to the other Judeo-Christian religions and like other people tend to be in the U.S., and I have a feeling that this FBI guy, maybe he knew that and wanted to like make mu- like Masons start hating Muslims or something too. So crazy. I mean, that was like the only, I, I just couldn't think of another reason why an FBI guy would tell him to shoot up a Masonic lodge of all places. It just seemed like such know. a strange, you know, suggestion. But yeah, it turns out it was another entrapment thing. So we'll see how the, what actually happens in the trial, but. Yeah, it's just you know another another example of that. You know these these are still happening in the United States. These entrapment terrorism cases. So you really yeah. peel oh, back yeah. the layers of all of our attempted terrorist attacks here. Most of them are not really real. Yeah, so, remember the Garland shooting, the shoot up Texas, and there was two FBI informants on the scene, and it didn't even stop the attack. The guy, it was the cartoon contest, the drawing the Prophet Muhammad. They actually carried it out. And there was a FBI informant there who had been, like, working with the guy for a year. I mean, and that shit came out, like, two years after the fact. It's like, well, what? how come we're not asking more questions about this? Oh, God. But at the same time, you have this healthcare debate raging on. It's really, really outrageous because the feigned, like, outrage from Democrats about how many people are going to die under Trump care. It's like, dude, sure, yeah, it's awful. Trump care is absolute garbage and trump doesn't give a shit about any like health care clearly uh-huh. this is all about business but what was obamacare i mean yeah how many millions of people were going to die under that it's all the same system it's just you're squabbling over like a few million people who will have health care you know what i mean it's like unless you're talking about socialized medicine or medicare for all what are we talking about here we're talking about the same for-profit system that millions of people will die under yeah. So I just find it a little bit hypocritical. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, it is really <laughs> funny how they're the Democratic Party, the mainstream line can become so quickly. The Republicans are mm-hmm. going to cause millions of deaths. When did any like mainstream Democrats ever say that about any of the wars? Right. Like we shouldn't be killing all these people. Like nobody. It's just funny how nobody ever says that type of stuff when it comes to like literally killing people with weapons. But. You know, when it comes to healthcare, on a bill that they compromised on, and allowed, you know, Obama to to meet. You know, actually, no, they a lot of them also met with the insurance companies behind yeah. closed doors. So, yeah. yeah, it is it is beyond hypocritical. Well, and then I and I hate people's hot takes, like who are like, oh, what's what's more important, like killing, like killing women with drone strikes, or like making fun of some elitists. Um, plastic surgery like how he tweeted about yeah yeah, yeah. what is with face that bleeding bullshit. and it's like dude can i care about both can i care about the fact yeah, that yeah. the president of the united states is tweeting like disgusting misogynist shit about women that make me sick and can i care about drone strikes killing yeah. kids no that's the that's what's so frustrating it's i feel so frustrated whenever anything like this happens it just makes me so fucking mad because it's like why is it why are we again in this binary right. bullshit like this isn't this is like a logical fallacy right like, talking point meme like 
Are you so you're are you saying you're not concerned that our right. president is petty, immature, and misogynist to the point where he would tweet something like that to like a right. show that no one watches? <laughs> like he's like everyone's like, oh yeah, he's gonna fucking destroy MSNBC and he's gonna fucking destroy CNN. It's like, no, dude. He's giving them free advertising. It's a symbiosis. Just like right. they totally. gave him free oh advertising. Oh my God, you're totally right. Are you an idiot? You think Trump making a meme of him wrestling with a CNN is going to make CNN go away? You're a fucking moron. CNN has been literally doing three decades of military industrial complex war propaganda. And all these alt-right people start to get upset and want to take out CNN when they go after the president? Like that's, it just shows how pathetic these people are. Right. It's, your guys are fucking pathetic. And no, CNN is not going to go away overnight because you started a meme war against them. Dude, you're totally right. It is this symbiotic relationship where Trump wants the coverage. And that's, and I think his tweets are that. I mean, we know Trump is a PR genius. This is how he won. It's his brand. That's why everything he says that's disgusting and misogynist just emboldens him and emboldens his disgusting base because that's the brand. The brand is for him to be a misogynist piece of shit. Um, So people love that, right? They love that. He's like, oh, he's being honest. Yeah. Tell, tell the world that she had a facelift. Yeah. First of all, women won't come out in public if their faces are bleeding. Okay. Especially if they're celebrities. So that it's actually not true. And second of all, yeah, he's totally, he, he wants the media to only cover his tweets while he's dismantling and destabilizing every single institution that exists in the country, while he's garnering all the voter rolls so he could purge hundreds of thousands of more votes, so he can lock down and cement his next win, so the GOP can maintain their death and destruction policies. Of course he wants the media to obsess about these tweets. you think that he really cares? It's just all day, every day, just coverage of his tweets, his tweets, his tweets. Yes, I, and, and again, I'm not saying that his tweets aren't newsworthy. They're disgusting. They show how petty he is, how narcissistic he is, how misogynist he is. But his cabinet is full of right-wing billionaires, neo-fascists, evangelical Christians who are quickly, quickly destroying the country. And if we don't pay attention to that and galvanize around that, then we are fucked. But Abby, the deep state. What are you saying? The deep state's better. Yeah, I mean, exactly. This is, this is like Can how you dumb see people it? are right Can't now. Can you like, see it, Robbie? I don't Can remember. You see how much the deep state hates him. I honestly do not remember another time in political dialogue where people claiming to be anti-establishment right. were this fucking dumb, tribalistic, and like binary thinkers to the point where they were they are literally unfunctional people. Who just and they're like wearing the shirts saying conservatism is the new counterculture. Like, can you be any more fucking dumb? Like, seriously, it's actually extremely sad how stupid these people are. The bottom of the barrel d- in stupidity. And it's not even that I'm like, like, I, yeah, like I'm on the left. Like, I am. I I don't subscribe to to right wing views, but I don't even like hate people on the right wing as much as I hate like this homogenous like completely lockstep way of all the, the the way these people think. Like when I saw that CNN blackmail hashtag trending, oh I was like, what God. the fuck is this retarded bullshit? Like you guys actually are like, this is how much energy you're spending on that. Like CNN threatening to out the, that meme maker to the point where even Glenn Greenwald wrote an article about it. And I was just like, 
this is shocking that everybody is getting sucked in, like into right. this crap. Right. Like I just don't understand. I mean, but I, Robbie, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just getting too upset about it. No, but Robbie, it's totally. I mean, can't you see it? The establishment is just Hollywood. Um, I was talking to someone the other day who's an alt right um, person and 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 who just bashes leftists all the time, and I was just like, what what exactly do you think is like the establishment? And he was like, well, um, he was like, yeah, it's true that conservatives are in power politically. He's like, but liberals and leftists are in power culturally. And I was like, wait, what does that actually mean? The hell does that mean? And then what I realized after talking to him for about one minute was that he thinks neoliberalism is, is the left. Yeah. And he just talked about Hollywood and TV, and it's like, wait, so that's literally what you think, like, that's that's more powerful to you, is neoliberalism's influence on TV and Hollywood? And we already just saw at the beginning of this podcast, you talked about how actually the Pentagon and conservative military culture is the most dominant force uh, reigning over TV and Hollywood and movies. So I don't actually know what the hell these people are talking about. They just seem extremely ignorant, and they just love to be part of this little cult where they think that they're somehow, like anti-establishment for worshiping a sitting president of the U.S. empire and his billionaire gaggle of fucks yeah. of disgusting conservative billionaire businessmen. Super yeah. anti-establishment, dude. Hardcore punk. And we know that these people are being bankrolled, some of them by these weird tr- pro-Trump right-wing billionaires like Milo, um, since he got fired from Breitbart, has been bankrolled by Robert Mercer, which is not a surprise at all. Absolutely unbelievable. Not a Talk about who Robert Mercer is really quick for people who don't know. I mean, I don't know much about him. I just know that he was one of the biggest campaign funders for Donald Trump. And he's also he owns the biggest collection of machine guns in America. Very stable individual. And he also was the biggest bankroller. Yeah, exactly. Of Trump. He's he's been behind Bannon mm-hmm. secretly behind the scenes. Breitbart. He was a big uh, donor for Breitbart. So he, you know, all the all the best of the best. <laughs> He's he's been there, so mm-hmm. um, a vi- another violent individual. And did you see? Meanwhile, and you know, it's like the Democratic Party just keeps giving Trump just a silver platter to like, like uh, to their own demise. You know, it's like I really do think Trump is going to win again, and all these people are just going to keep winning because look at the Democrats—they keep digging themselves into a hole. Did you see their outrageous ad campaign? I mean, it almost seemed like the yes, onion. I mean, it, it was, where it, it just was said, "Look at the shocking, other guy." Shocking, shocking, Look shocking, at the shocking. other guy, Robbie. Democrats, twenty twenty. Have you seen Trump? Oh my god, that's really what they're going on. Well, that's what her, Hillary's campaign was. Someone I don't remember what university was did an analysis of all of the ads she put out and found out that she made the most. She had the highest ratio of anti like the other candidate ads to actual her policy ads, like than anybody else in any other president election in history. Like she, wow. that's, it was almost, it was almost something like 75% of the information her campaign put out. Like in, in terms of like advertising was anti-Trump. It was not even like, here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so that is it's, so they haven't crazy. learned a goddamn thing. And also the supporters haven't either, Robbie. I was talking to someone at a 4th of July party who was a Hillary supporter, you know, li- liberal, diehard liberal. And we were talking about Clinton and, and she just kept saying poor white trash. She kept using the words white trash. Like, let's let them all die. 
Um, if they, she was like, there's more of us than there are of them. I was like, first of all, I'm not a liberal and I don't know why you're lumping me in with this. I was like, there's, and, and also I'm the audience that you need to win. Like you can't just call people who disagree with Hillary Clinton, poor white trash who deserves to die from lack of healthcare. Like it makes you sound like a complete callous asshole. And it also is completely missing the point of why Hillary was so hated and why her, her legacy was attached mm-hmm. to so much destruction, the economy, wars. I mean, there was just this study that came out and all these swing states who saw that the swing states she lost, not only did she not bother going and campaigning, but they had the biggest losses from the Iraq war, the biggest casualty counts from American soldiers dying. And a lot of people actually factored in the Iraq war yeah. um, to why they didn't vote for her. I mean, these are realities that you need to confront because you're going to keep losing these people. And guess who's going to pick up the slack? Trump and the alt-right. I mean, while you guys are, are, are lamenting about Russia, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is happening? It's just mind-boggling. You know, the, the disregard of like reality and how what, what needs to be done to actually win. And, and while all these, while the entirety of American society is moving left... Um, all the mainstream media and then even democracy now, Jacob and move right. Right. It's like they gained this like liberal base, um, because they knew that people like Bernie Sanders or whatever. And so they're just trying to maintain this stronghold of like liberalism and doubling down on all this bullshit. That's just echoing MSM. I mean, it's yeah. really hard to find people who are actually reflecting where America's at right now and where quote unquote, the resistance needs to be. Well, the left, it's, it's, this is the, what's actually happening is what you just said. That the actual left, even, even if we want to describe like the Bernie or bust, the Bernie crowd as the quote unquote left, they're being completely marginalized, made to appear as if they don't even even exist right now. Um, while the right is screaming about how the left is taking over the planet and right. is the, and Antifa is the biggest terrorist organization next to ISIS, like totally. So it just shows the dueling realities. But on on the the first reality I mentioned is the real reality that people who are actually on the left like have so little presence in the media, even the alternative media, that it is disturbing and. The Democratic Party is trying as best as they can to like destroy us right now, Dude, and to exactly. marginalize us. Adam Johnson just wrote an article about um, as Democratic voters shift left, liberal media keeps shifting right. And I just wanted to read this one segment and he, after he talks about all the crazy hires, like just all these like former Bush administration officials just getting hired to what is quote the left perspective, you know, on the news, which is hilarious. And and as you said, no one really watches these publications anyway, so it's just like a a circle jerk with Trump and the corporate media. But um, it, it is worth pointing out, especially since we see Democracy Now! Jacob and echoing these these publications, it says, shaping ideology and public opinion is less about the voices we hear and more about those we don't. The range of debate is set by liberal gatekeepers like the Times and MSNBC. And it's clear with each additional hire, um, the window at these institutions won't budge one inch to the left, regardless of how much their consumers do. So one is left to conclude that MSNBC and the New York Times are not veering right despite Democratic voters' embrace of left policies. They're doing so precisely because of it. They are actually reacting to the left-bent and evolution of American society to embrace rightist policies and ideology. Isn't that fascinating? 
even though they would actually benefit with advertising. People would actually flock to them more if mm-hmm. they just gave a tokenistic platform to some like lefty journalist. But they don't even do that. Yeah, you're right. It shows that there's something particularly dangerous to the actual establishment uh, that's way more dangerous than this bullshit alt-right populism is. Totally. It's actual leftism. And not even like socialism. I just mean like like people who like like me. Like I'm not yeah. I wouldn't call myself socialist, but like I, I think that people like us, it it's obvious that we, we pose a greater th- just the ideas that we believe do. I'm not saying that we're like that I'm special or that I'm some kind of I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the ideas that we believe are more No, of course of and they and they'd love to just put that's why they love the alt-right so much and they love trying to conflate it to some like alt-left fake movement which doesn't exist because they love propping up these hypocritical morons and being like look they think they're anti-establishment and 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 these people who think that like mm-hmm. Trump is somehow anti-war and then it just drowns out legitimate anti-imperialist voices, legitimate anti-capitalist voices, because it makes us all look like we're somehow in the same camp. Here's the here's the thing to keep in mind. If this is, like I, like I like to say, a controlled opposition movement, which I believe that it is, a lot of these alt-right narratives that are being injected about the deep state, about how the deep state is trying to plot against Trump, etc., um, even though if that might have even a hint or a kernel of truth to it, these narratives have become these um, have become believed by people who have left leaning tendencies or who even are very left, like very uh, Bernie or bust people. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Bernie or bust progressives, for example, when the Seth Rich conspiracies really sort of uh, running through the alt right circuit recently, um, they all started to latch onto it too. If you go to Counterpunch right now, there are two critical articles that are sort of talking along similar lines that we are about why this type of alliance is very toxic and will only gain create gains for these alt-right figureheads they're gonna siphon our energy they hate leftists they want to destroy us ron paul and phil giraldi when they write about things they don't talk about destroying leftists i guess certain few of these people have blown the hell up and have these huge followings because they're like gods to this movement and they just reinforce the most outrageous talking points and propaganda. And they're all just living in this false reality that they create for themselves and then reinforce it, you know? And we were, t- we were talking about this the other day, like actual fake news about Melania Trump banning GMOs. And it's just like just a self-fulfilling prophecy where they could just write fake news. But because CNN's fake news, like they're the real news. Yeah. And 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 it also has to be mentioned that, that before the election, this was, you know, sort of lo- it was already lockstep enough counter narratives that were pro Trump by a lot of these figures. Um, but now they actually have White House access and get pro Trump like leaks from the inside, fake leaks. So, I mean, none of it can be trusted. It's just as much fake news as Hillary Clinton. You know, sometimes. By accident, these people will hit on something that's interesting, like like if we, we you know we're going to talk about Donald Trump Jr.'s um, whole scandal right now, and Zero Hedge hit on some interesting things, but again, half of the narrative they're trying to say is the deep state is trying to trap Donald Trump Jr. This is the deep state versus Trump. 
when in reality, I mean, it just makes the Trump kids look like complete morons for falling for this this trap, if it was indeed a trap. Donald Trump Jr., first of all, how sad is it that that's his name, you know? But you it's, have him tweeting out this bizarre conversation. I won't get too much into this because I'm sure everyone is inundated with it all over the other media. Well, but it is just first very strange. How it started that he, that a, a, I think it was a Washington Post story came, in, came out saying he had contact with a Kremlin-connected ro- lawyer about trying to get opposition research on Hillary Clinton. Like that, So it's proof of Russian government collusion. Yes. And then WikiLeaks started saying, Donald Trump Jr., like, let us release your emails to, like, prove that this, you know, this is BS or whatever. So apparently... So basically the email, so he released these emails because he was like, look, he was like, everyone is talking about how there's collusion with Russia. He's like, I'm going to prove that there isn't. And then he released these emails of him and this woman... Not woman. It was. It was it the man or the woman? No, I think it. I think it was. You know what? I'm not actually sure if it was was a Russian government attorney, but it was like, or if it was with like the liaison for her, that music producer guy. Yeah. But in the email, there's a quote that says, "You know, we want to give these documents, these incriminating information about Clinton, as quote part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump." And then, and then Trump Jr. replies saying, "If it's what you say, I love it." And then, um, what you know, the and then they, f- I cannot, I forgot it was that cartoonish. Are you reading? Yeah, it him? is. Car- I swear to God, I'm reading the quotes right oh now. My and, God. and this person said, like, I work, I'm directly with the Russian government. So the whole thing is so outlandish. Do they not have lawyers consulting with him? Like, holy, certainly fuck, he didn't think that this would really absolve them. And, and, and in fact, everyone's just like, wait, this actually does prove collusion. Although I don't necessarily think it does prove no, no yeah. collusion at all. It is just like complete fodder for the Russiagate stuff. So I, oh, I don't know. What do you think about it? Well, it's just like it's such it really is barely anything in terms of did the Russians actually sway the election? Was Ru- Trump colluding with Russia to like make Hillary lose? Doesn't do anything to prove those narratives that are still floating around, but it does show that the Trump administration was hiding something about some element of that narrative, even if a tiny element being true. Like I can't look at that email and deny that Donald Trump's son was <laughs> idiotic enough to like have an email chain talking with someone who was saying they were connect you know, they were gonna get stuff from the Russian government. Like even if he wasn't talking to someone from the Russian government, that's still really shady. Right. That he would fall, that he would actually be like, have an email chain. That's like, that's stuff that you would try to do like in a restaurant in DC, you know, like in the corner of the restaurant where like no one else can hear you talking to someone, you know? Yeah, of course. Like it doesn't surprise me. would never say in an email, me. we have incriminating documents that the Russian government wants to like yeah. support you or whatever. So I don't understand why he would have released that shit. I mean, it's maybe crazy. he didn't think it was that bad, but it really did prove, it really did like put stuff out there that solidified this narrative for a lot of people. And it's Absolutely. like, oh, you just threw out, pr- like, finally, there's proof. Yeah, and it sucks because like if he thinks this is this is going to be good for them, I mean, like you just said, it just now gives Democrats something to hold on to. Before they had nothing, right? Um, of course, it's still not evidence that Trump officials actually colluded with the Russians to commit a crime or hack the election in any way, 
at all. It still does uh, give a shitload of credibility to the to the narrative that Democrats are putting out there, that Russia had a vested interest for Trump to win and that they had something on Hillary, right, that helped Trump's campaign. Although that still does did. not, af- yeah, although that still does not affect the outcome of the election no. at all. We know that that has nothing to do with why Trump won, but it just it's just unreal um, that and, he would publish this. Oh, it's it's so unreal. It's make, you know, like I call him American Psycho Jr. Um, a lot. And, you know, he, he his name is Donald Trump Jr. It's the most embarrassing name ever. And I, this really does prove that he's a moron. And I really hope there's a lot of like family infighting going on behind the scenes right now because Jared Kushner was also involved in this email chain. He was forwarding it on to them, like saying, like, look at like how exciting this is. Like, look at what opportunity we have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, one there, the one interesting thing about it that Zero Hedge actually mentioned in, in the article that they wrote is pretty dumb. I mean, it's basically saying that the deep state set a trap for Donald Trump in order to get FISA wiretapping access to like the Trump campaign. And that's how those things with like Flynn and Jeff Sessions got leaked later on. That's sort of the theory they're laying out. But the only thing that I thought was really interesting in the article is they're like this Trump connect or this Kremlin connected lawyer. She's been historically anti-Trump. She's not pro Putin. Even if she has connections to the Kremlin government, she's not presenting her like it's, she's not exactly how the media is presenting her to be. And perhaps she was trying to entrap Donald Trump. Um, but even still, it, he's still an idiot for falling for it right? and releasing these emails. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's surreal. The whole thing's surreal. So I don't know. I'd be interested to hear what you guys think, um, because I don't really have any any like grand uh, conclusion off of this. It's just perplexing. Um, another thing that that happened was the Philando Castile um, video that came out, the second video, of course, we all saw the, the Facebook live stream of, of Philando Castile bleeding out to death with his girlfriend filming and her young daughter in the back seat. Um, oh, we had more to say about this, right? What? I see that you're, oh, the Julian Assange thing. Did you want to talk about that at all? Oh, no, not the Julian Assange thing. I mean, the only, I, I, I think the only, la- I mean, yeah, the last point I wanted to tag onto it was just how absurd that everybody's like, this is going to be the smoking gun for impeachment with Trump. Oh, God. But just how, when you really sit and think about all the illegal shit that Bush got away with, I mean, yeah, Obama did too, but Bush especially, blatant, nakedly mm-hmm. illegal things, one after the other, and we didn't even get close to impeachment. It's a joke. It really does reinforce these bullshit narratives that it's the deep state trying to take out Trump because it does seem completely... Like, it flies in the face of that logic. Like, how did Bush manage to be so unimpeachable? Like, with the, doing all that crazy shit. It, it's really strange um, that this is something that could possibly take down Trump. So, but anyway. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're just, it's just like a, a, a cat chasing its tail. I mean, there's never, there is no smoking gun. You know what I mean? And they're just going to keep chasing one. Until Trump wins re-election. I, because look at the other guy. Democrats 2020. Look at the other guy. Um, so another another thing that just happened, which is really just 
shockingly emblematic of how corrupted our system is, how screwed up the police are, um, you know, is, is the Philando Castile case. And of course, we, we all saw the horrific live stream of, of Philando Castile bleeding out in his car, taken by his girlfriend while her young daughter sat in the back seat. Then the second video came out, and this is after the policeman, Jeronimo Yanez is the officer's name, of course, completely got off scot-free. He like walked up with his hand, like so visibly upset and terrified. He had his hand on his gun the whole time. Of course, he shoots him like five times. I mean, it all happened so quickly. You see on the second tape, it's almost more horrifying than the live stream of him actually dying because you see how quickly it happens. Um, And especially since there's another police officer standing on the side and he's like, whoa, like what even happened? It was like there was no time that passed before this officer decided his he needed to execute this man in cold blood, shot him five times um, and a bullet nearly missed the little girl. She's lucky to be alive, you know? And, um, and what happened right after this, and we would never know about this unless the girlfriend live streamed it. Let's be honest. I mean, this happens every day across this country. Um, and they just say, oh, my life was in danger. Case closed. What's sickening is that there was multiple jurors who said we have a bias toward police. Um, we don't think we could be fair. They still were kept on the jury. Um, they saw this video and they still felt like he should be let, let go. And on top of that, the police, immediately after they killed Philando Castillo, they went and, and actually issued a warrant to Facebook to try to dig up dirt on the girlfriend um, to get all of her chat logs, any sort of thing that indicated that she was a criminal um, or that she had done any sort of illegal activity. They wanted that. Luckily, Facebook denied it. I don't think that Facebook usually denies requests like this from law enforcement, but for some reason they did because there was some like gag order withstanding. So I don't think that this is usual for Facebook to like take a stand against police invasiveness. But I think that just this instance, they happened to not let them get the information. But this is just shows you the nature of the police. They kill, they kill people willy-nilly, and then they'll go and paint you as the criminal. This happens all the time, and it's just disgraceful that this woman is mourning the death of her boyfriend who she just saw die in front of her, bleed out. Her little girl says, I don't want you to get shooted, mommy. Don't talk. She's, you, know, you see it on the cam. She's sitting there handcuffed. Of course, they handcuff her, and her daughter's saying, I don't want you to get shooted. Like, this is the reality for black people in America. And did you see that other state attorney in Florida who was pulled over, this black woman? And the and the police cannot even explain why they pulled her over. After they realize she's the state attorney, they're like, uh, uh. She's like, why did you run my plates? Oh, yeah, they're yeah. just like, uh. I did see that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're like, a lot of cars are stolen here. You had tinted windows. And she's just like, damn. Like, she just realizes that they pulled over because she was black. Um, so it's, it's a disgrace. The Flanago steel thing is, is so outrageous. It makes me sick to my stomach that this man is walking free and that he's going to do this again. And, and this is just happening over and over again. And there's no standard of accountability for police to say, Hey, maybe I'll go to jail. If I kill this man, they know that they'll be protected. So it's absolutely horrific. I mean, if the video is makes anyone, you know, and there's this guy Thaddeus Russell who I've seen on the Joe Rogan podcast before, who has these, who has this very detached way of explaining. And 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 at first, when you're listening to him, he sounds like he's making some kind of like alt right like excuse for why cops shoot black men so often like this. 
that the argument he's trying to make is that the police rules of engagement like actually require them to make a hair trigger like deadly like uh move without even like any chance for like any like um uh like for example in the case of the 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 guy who shot that black guy in the back who ran away do you remember that oh my god that was and so devastating through the taser next to him like his argument was that the throwing the taser next to him part was illegal but him shooting him in the back as he was running away with the taser part if he had just only done that that he would have gotten off because according to p- the rules of engagement with police that's legal somehow that you can use deadly force even if someone's running away with their back towards you if they like stole your taser that an actual co- it's just like how fucked up the law is with the stand your ground law but like what does that actually mean? So if you feel threatened by a black man, you can kill him? Like, if you feel a black guy looks too threatening to you, you can just shoot him? Like, that's literally what the law allows you to do. Um, so I don't even know why I said that. I'm just saying that the, it's almost like the combination of this this dumb cop and the rules of engagement, it, it's going to create scenarios like this over and over and over again. And you throw racism into the mix um, it just makes it go completely over the top. Like he said he was reaching for his firearm. He literally waits like a second and a half before he shoots him. After Philando Castle's like, I got a firearm. And he's like, don't reach for it. Don't reach for it. Boom. Like yeah. he just, it's just like without any time whatsoever. Um, and the NRA has the audacity to release that crazy call for like civil war. Did you see that ad? No. It's like, here's the NRA completely absent and silent on things like Philando Castile's death, obviously, right? They, they claim to be for gun rights. And if you're a legal firearm holder, then you should be protected by the law, Second Amendment, blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out if you're black, um, that doesn't apply to you at all. Mm-hmm. Um, these laws are only to protect essentially white gun carrying Americans, the stand your ground laws. We've seen this proven time and again. And the NRA is completely conspicuously absent, right, on this whole conversation. And instead of coming out in defense of Philando Castile, they actually came out with a bizarre ad that was essentially calling for a civil war. They showed all these Black Lives Matter protests and um, like basically just black people. And they were like these, they were like their president, these people, um, like we need to arm ourselves to protect from the upcoming civil war. It's essentially saying these people, quote unquote, black people, um, are ruining the country and we need to step up. And it is really one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. I can't even believe it, it aired and it got made. Uh, it's just an openly those... white supremacist call. Coming off all the off the heels of all these people like in more militia-leaning right-wing media like Alex Jones essentially calling for civil war too. Um, and... Uh, no one on like not even Antifa, you know, like if you want to just hilarious, they're like Antifa is as bad as ISIS. It's like even Antifa is not calling for anything like that. No, they're I mean, they sometimes they do encourage violence against like actual fascist people who represent themselves as neo-Nazi in, in the streets. But they're not telling people to like go like bear arms like so to like fight off, fend off like Trump, like people who voted for Trump. Um, but it seems like Alex Jones and, and organizations like the NRA are encouraging and stoking the flames of 
these right wing arm people to think that the left is their the entire left is their enemy in like a civil war scenario. Yeah. That's very dangerous rhetoric. It is. It is dangerous, um, Robbie. Extremely dangerous. And all I know is that I'm gonna be armed. Um, you know, and I'm I'm not like you know, I'm not one of these people who's like you know, having a gun makes you statistically more likely to like for like a shooting to take place in your home and that's going to deter me from buying a gun. No, like I've said enough shit against like right wing people to know that if shit ever goes down, I need to be armed. Right. Like to protect myself. Right. Anyone can find out where, you know, any one of us lives or whatever. Like it's not, you know, like, I mean, I'm not saying we're at a, on the brink of civil war, but there's people who live in other countries who I talk to. Who, what they see here, they think we are on the brink of civil war. Yeah, and what, what these people here. think is that leftists don't have guns. Well, that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. you know how dangerous you motherfuckers are. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, you would have to be dumb, especially after seeing that kind of rhetoric, to not be like, mm, maybe I should get a gun too. And right, like learn, and learn, learn how to use it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and another thing that's really important about the Philanago Steel thing is the weed. Um, after oh, his, I was, after oh, the you blood totally test stole my out. thought. I was oh, just yeah, talk about it. No, go for it. Well, the, the so the yeah the, the 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 one funny thing about weed is in an autopsy or whatever you can't tell the difference between if someone had smoked weed uh, like an hour ago or if they'd smoked it like several weeks ago. Um, I think weed even stays in your bloodstream, or or at least in your body is detectable, and it's un you have no idea when someone had smoked weed. The cops claimed. That he smelled weed in the car, but he claims he smelled like they had, they were high in the car. They smoked weed, which made him feel that he was entering a dangerous, potentially dangerous situation immediately. That's how he describes it. Yeah, because you know, the testimony. second you smell marijuana, you got to shoot. Got to yeah. shoot to kill. And here's the really dumb part, is that I got pulled over once by a cop up in Susanville who couldn't tell the difference between smoked weed and weed because I had a medical cannabis card. I didn't smoke weed in my car in a random, like, you know, small town. I wasn't, I wasn't like dumb enough to do that. I smoked it outside of my car, but the cop thought that I had just smoked weed inside my car. I just had a baggie of weed in my pocket. Um, so if a cop, is willing to make a life and death decision based on his ability to smell what he thinks is just smoked weed, which he thinks makes it dangerous situation. Like that's really disturbing to think that it could be a decision like that, that could actually cost someone their life. Yeah. Instead of like sending instantly. all our police officers to Israel and like spending millions of dollars training them how to be like fascist uh, killers, maybe they should teach them a lesson on um, what marijuana is. How dangerous is it? It's because it's all about officer safety and they just keep ramping it up to the point where, oh, it's we just got to do this for officer safety. We got to put this thing in for officer safety to the point where now, even if it's just like a tiny, slight millimeter of, of movement you do as a black man, you know, in a car, that's enough to justify murdering you right there on the spot. If you didn't follow the cops commands like immediately. And even that example where the guy started driving away really slowly after the cop um, went to his window, that cop blew his fucking head off. Yeah. Immediately, as the guy, and the cop was the guy wasn't even like driving into the cop. He was just like slowly coasting away from the traffic stop. 
You've seen a hundred cops episodes on TV where like when white guys do that, they're fine. They don't, the cops don't blow their head off as they're like two feet in front of them after like putting their, you know, taking their foot off the brake for a second or whatever. It's just really disturbing to think that there are people who are like, actually believe that cops do not have a bias against black men at traffic stops. Let's just talk about traffic stops yeah, specifically. Totally. Why do black men, black you know, parents teach their children a special protocol for being pulled over? Why do they do that? Because they want to scare their children? No, you don't want to scare your kids into thinking that cops are going to murder you. <laughs> you want to actually prevent them from being shot because you know that that's possible. So, I mean, just really let that sink in. That p black parents teach their children to put their hands in the steering wheel, to put like their wallet on their dashboard and like just have their hands in their steering wheel, have the window already rolled down by the time a cop walks over to you. Our parents never taught us that. Why parents don't have to teach their kids that? You know, as we're talking about how horrible the corporate media is and, and the so-called alt media, um, it is worth mentioning this this amazing story of CNN kind of erasing their tracks. Uh, apparently they had some documentary that won a bunch of awards about Syria, you know, and they had this correspondent on the ground, Clarissa Ward, who used this guy, Abdul Karim's, basically his um, investigation and his footage. Like that was basically what they used to say, like, oh, we went on the ground, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And I think Ben Norton and Max are the ones who really ran with the story and now it's being picked up on Salon and other places that Abdul Karim... Not only, you know, I know you hear a lot of like hyperbole about how all the rebels are Al-Qaeda and whatever, but this guy really was working for like an Al-Nusra propaganda arm. And this is like completely documented and verified by multiple people in Syria and embedded with Al-Nusra and stuff. And this guy, Abdul Karim, who has been glorified by even democracy now. I mean, this guy's all over the media um, and he's like one of the only English speaking, like allegedly American, I don't know if he's American or British, but he was like one of the only English speakers who just somehow was able to be in these rebel held territories, like totally freely running around filming. Turns out, like I just said, he, he was actually working with Al Qaeda and he was the main source for the CNN documentary, along with many other news sources and news outlets. And now they're just trying to completely erase his work. And he even came out and he was like, I don't know why CNN has, has like barely mentioned me. He was like, I provided all this coverage. He's like, they're erasing my memory. And it's like, yeah, dude, probably because they don't want to be they don't want to like admit <laughs> where they got all this footage from. You know, it, it's it's come to light who you are and it looks really bad for them. But of course, instead of atonement. Uh, they just, you know, try to erase, erase what what the facts are. So yeah, there's you only know, just there's only yeah, a few on. people in the in the U.S. in the pundit class. Most of them aren't on media; they're more in think tanks, who actually admit openly that the U.S. are supporting Al Qaeda offshoot groups in Syria, and why that's good in the fight against Assad's regime, like why we shouldn't stop doing that. So. The mainstream media itself, I don't think they're ready to sell the idea that we need to ally with Al-Qaeda offshoot groups <laughs> to fight the war on terror. They're not ready to do that. Even though it's already obvious, it should be obvious to anyone, that when ISIS gains ground, it benefits the people who want to remove Assad from power. Even if yeah, we're just talking, we're not even talking about 
you know, if we want to talk about direct U.S. supporting and arming of rebel groups, there's not a direct line from the U.S., at least not publicly. If there is, it's hidden. Um, they, you know, they benefit the United States also in that goal. So, yeah, I mean, it is really funny, though, that, yeah, that CNN actually blatantly, openly hired, the, like, a guy who was, like, an Al Nusra fighter <laughs> to, to host a little documentary series. I was very surprised by that. But then again, like, Vice gets, like, exclusive access to the FSA. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if, even if we're not talking about extremist groups that are, like, getting paid by the U.S. government, even the the supposedly Marxist, the Kurdish Workers Party rebel group, the YPG, is now being funded by the Pentagon. So they're funding in, like, a whole spectrum. They're 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 propping up, uh, you know, the, when I say they, I mean, like, the Pentagon and the U.S. government is propping up rebels on the very extreme right-wing side all the way to the le- far left-wing side. Got to so, capture the whole tent. Yeah. And so I, it's just really interesting to see the way that the left is still talking about Syria as well, because yeah, most, I mean, not most leftists, but a lot of people who are more liberal or to the left of center think that all the rebels there are good somehow. Like they just automatically think they're good or that they're actual Syrian civilians, like fighting for their homeland or something. Right. Um, It it is very, very interesting. Yeah. and, And it's the whole, going back to like, just, the media, you know, you, you see these figures like Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson, two people who have been right wing propagandists who have sold the wars, who have gotten us into this nightmare that that exists today. And these loons in the alt right actually think that these people are heroes, right? For for Sean Hannity for taking on this. And Seth not just Rich on the alt right. Well, especially Tucker Carlson. They're people I see who are on the left posting his stuff now. Like that's how much it's he, it's as bizarre as as liberals like all of a sudden endorsing David Frum. Yeah, it's you're like, absolutely what in the right. Hell Abby. is going That's on? That's a perfect comparison. You're absolutely right. It's the horseshoe theory. Yeah. It's except it's not because I feel like this is. It's like almost like what Trump did to win. He deliberately threw out all these different breadcrumbs for all these different political camps. Some of them even fringy. Tarko Carlson is interviewing Stephen Cohen. Is as destroying neocons and he really is like the last two interviews he did with neocons he absolutely destroyed them i mean genuinely so you know i can't i can't deny that he did but at the same time um he's 90 percent of the stuff tucker carlson is doing on his show is trying to make everybody on the left seem like morons mm-hmm. and like bringing on constantly college-aged left activists to like argue with him on tv for him to <laughs> for him to so stare weird. at them like a like a, a child who ate like a, a, a you know a spoonful of something he didn't like like his facial expression is just like always this open mouth like childish disgust face that he's always doing while interviewing people like dakota lily who who i thought did an amazing job mm-hmm. uh, arguing about venezuela on his show but yeah it was great but yeah tucker carlson's admittedly better than Sean Hannity. He's not as much of a neocon shill. Like he almost considers himself like a libertarian right winger. But Tucker Carlson did his fair share of neocon propaganda um, back, especially during the Bush administration. Um, he, he countless times advocated for war against Iran. Um, the only reason why he didn't, he said they absolutely should be destroyed. 
um, they're evil. That's an actual quote mm. he said. But then he said that, well, the only reason I don't think we should do a first strike on them is because it might raise oil prices in the United States. He didn't mm. say anything about the death toll. He didn't say anything about Iranian casualties, nothing like that. It was about economic nationalism. We don't want to hurt our economy. And then you see the North Korea war drums being beaten every day. It's like, okay, we're, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stave off the propaganda on the Venezuela front. You have people trying to stave off the Syrian war. And, and here we are with North Korea where a ballistic missile is launched. And all of a sudden, North Korea is now going to attack L.A. Um, and what is Trump going to do? What is Trump going to do? And John Bolton's being paraded around. All these generals are being paraded around defense contractors. What are we going to do about North Korea, guys? We got to do something. And all they did was they did another ballistic missile test, which they've been doing the whole time. Um, it's it's to call it like an escalation or like a threat is absurd. I mean, like it's just, yeah, it, it is really, really interesting, though, to see how Fox News really was at the tip of the spear for beating this war drum. You know, CNN has primarily been beating the Russia, you know, war drum or Russia confrontation war drum. And then now it's passed on to CNN now. Now North, now CNN is beating the North Korea war drum just as hard as Fox is. And Fox is bringing on Trump advisor. And when I say Trump advisor, I mean, John Bolton was almost given the secretary of state position. Yeah, He's yep. technically an ad, a White House advisor for to Trump. He goes to the White House, and he's going on Fox News daily now, talking about the dangers of North Korea. Um, and uh, a lot of talk about a first strike is being floated around now, preemptive strike. Um, so that well, seems, still seems like a very Robbie. dangerous situation. I don't know if it's just to keep us fearful or to keep us like in this weird paralyzed state. I don't know, you know, if they're really going to make a move on that. I said with eighty percent certainty. In a, in a podcast a few months ago, I'm now, right now, and I'm about like 70%, but it's still high enough to be alarming. So, Of course, and how quickly things could change. I mean, within a week, it's all of a sudden we're on the precipice of bombing North Korea. It's like, yeah. how, I mean, that's how much the fervor can escalate to a fever pitch where people are like, yeah, we support it, bomb them. Yeah, inform- like look at the people supporting the Moab. It's like people didn't even know that we were in Afghanistan and all Trump has to do is whip his dick out, drop a giant bomb and say that he dropped it on 100 ISIS caves and everyone's like, cool, great. We totally support it. Uh-huh. Great job. Yeah. People from both sides too. The same people who said that Trump is dangerous all of a sudden thought he was president for Eid Zakaria. Yeah. Um, and everybody's like, well, where are the neocons right now? Oh, oh, where they don't have an in in the Trump administration. They're sort of gone. But it needs to be, people need to be reminded of the fact that the military-industrial complex is one of the most powerful, like, capitalist entities, structures in, in the world. So mm-hmm. to say that the neocons are gone, I think is vastly underestimating just how easy it's going to be for the military industrial complex to find a way to be able to keep doing what they've been doing. Um, so yeah, in North Korea, um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen there, but that could be a huge win for them. And, uh, and the foreign policy initiative just closed down actually, or just Mm -hmm. announced that they were closing down in a scoop um, from Rosie Gray, I think she's actually writing for the Washington Post about 
uh, the foreign policy initiative closing down. And uh, in it, she implies the foreign policy initiatives founders are split over Trump, that there's actually kind of a 50-50 split where some of them think that they can work with Trump still and then half of them don't. Um, it's obvious that Bill Kristol and Robert Kagan don't think they can work with Trump. But so I guess I can only assume Dan Senor and Eric Edelman uh, are, are might be pro-Trump in some capacity. And she in does, case you've been living under a rock and don't know who we're talking about, this is the spawn of the um, Project for New American Century. Robbie really goes into great detail dissecting you know, the trajectory of these people and the organization. So check out a very heavy agenda if you want more background on the neocon um, transformation into these different think tanks and stuff. Yeah. So in her article, she just sort of almost saying, well, they don't really have an in right now. You know, like they're not liked by Trump anymore. It's kind of like it's almost in the vein of the death of think tanks articles Mm -hmm. that I think Josh Rogan was sort of writing for the Washington Post when Trump got elected. Um, But I'm I'm sort of looking at this like, what will the neocons do next? They're not just going to go away. That's what we mistake. That's the mistake I made after Obama got in is I kind of thought they mm-hmm. went away a little bit. And that PNAC, when it closed down, they sort of went into hiding. Not the case. So it's good uh, to sort of just watch out for what their new rebranding attempt is going to be. Yeah, isn't Jamie Kirchick now on the board Brookings. of... Brookings, yeah. Which is kind of more of a neoliberal think tank, but maybe some of these other people will go to the Foundation for Defense of Democracies or or maybe they'll make a more hawkish right wing tank, you know, that's well, you, not you appealing to the, neoliberals. This like you know, the, the the global military industrial complex and the the neoconservative bent of the wars and the influence over the Obama and Bush administrations that the, the, that isn't the only group who pushes for wars and who wants this hegemonic worldview. Obviously, like neoliberalism is still based on interventionism. Um, you know, the, the same kind of war is just based on like moral and hum, humanitarian interventionism. So um, obviously Trump is escalating the military industrial complex. Um, so it doesn't matter that the neocons maybe aren't steering the ship right now. There's enough bizarre extremist outliers who are generals or you know he's surrounded by the most generals in any administration since like world war ii so obviously these people just want they they want their uh their medals they want to be leading the next war there's so many lobbyists and defense contractors involved and of course bannon the the psycho who no one talks about anymore um who has said that we're 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 going to be in a marching war with china Mm -hmm. (laughs) and islam i mean so this is these are the forces steering trump yeah, it might not be the, the traditional neoconservatives, but I'm sure that, you know, it, it doesn't mean that war is not on the horizon, as we've seen and as we just laid, no. laid out. I mean, there's more civilians dying now than there ever have been. And the military budget that Trump has proposed was even increased and passed. Yeah. Um, highest ever since, I don't, I think actually the highest ever. Um, the F-35 program is going to be $400 billion alone. So just keep that in mind the next time you hear there's no money for health care. Yeah. I think the one thing it's like the most important component that's missing from what Trump's foreign policy view is, is this idea of like starting a revolution in these other countries that'll drift towards pro-democracy. Like if he attacked North Korea, he'd just do some crazy big large scale attack to take out all of their military capabilities and, you know, just replace their government. 
and he wouldn't care about what kind of government. Yeah. I mean, he probably wouldn't let it be a communist government, but like it wouldn't be, you know, it doesn't need to be democracy. Yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, his, I mean, his foreign policy ultimately is a brutal, um, revenge seeking, very American exceptionalism style point of view. That's very, not that much different from someone like Michael Ledeen. It just mm-hmm. doesn't involve the revolutionary component after we attack someone. Right. <laughs> so, I mean. Exactly. It's sloppy. It doesn't like, matter That's why the neocons don't like him. It's sloppy as hell. Yeah. So it really doesn't. It's like, who cares if he's not exactly in line with the neocons? He's in line enough where if something happens here, like another, God forbid, like a ISIS style terrorist attack, um, a large scale terrorist attack, um, you know, if we get sucked into a war, so I say sucked into, which yeah. almost makes it seem like we don't actively seek out war mm-hmm. every day of this country's existence. But something like that happens. Trump is going to need the neocons and they're going to there's no reason why they wouldn't try to get an, a line into his administration. Exactly. Do you think the Institute for the Study of War out of ego and pride aren't going to work with the Trump administration if he launches some kind of attack on North Korea or Iran? Of course they are. They're going to be yeah. the first in line, just like they've been in the past. So, Yeah, and, and a scary thought, Trump has been in office less days than Bush was when 9-11 happened. Yeah, it Isn't is a scary, scary thought. I mean, we want to really talk about the deep state, you know, like... There's a lot of terrorist attacks in this country, quote unquote terrorist attacks that happen where the, an FBI informant encourages somebody to do something and then lets them do it and then arrest them afterwards. You know, sometimes they arrest them before, but sometimes they don't. So, you know, what is Trump going to do? How is he going to exploit something like that? Um, or even something that's real, you know, that's, that's he's able to spin as an ISIS terrorist attack. Um I, it really disturbs me to think of what Trump would do in this country after an event like 9-11. Um, I think we're going to be in extremely dangerous shape uh, if something like that happens. Well, the more civilians he just kills uh, across the Middle East, the more chances there will be of someone committing a blowback attack against this country. So, mm-hmm. <sighs> And everyone was so saying, well, you know, what do you want, World War Three with Hillary? At least Trump's not going to you know, try to have a nuclear war with Russia and all this shit. And it's like, well, what's really better? It's like, we know, to me, that's the biggest danger with Trump. His ego is so big and his personality is such that what's really worse, a confrontation with Russia or if America is like put on full fascist lockdown after some kind of terrorist incident here and like martial law. I mean... Yeah, under the Trump administration. Yeah, under the Trump administration, blocking all immigration, putting military in inner cities, checkpoints, um, shutting down all the borders uh, completely. That's what a Trump, uh, um, Trump's America would look like after a terrorist attack here. And do you think that Gitmo wouldn't, I mean, that he wouldn't round up Muslims? I mean, we're talking about Japanese internment style behavior that I don't think is that far off of something like yeah, that. Yeah, he already happens. said to kill terrorists' families. I mean, yeah. what, where do you draw the line? Yep. Yeah, um, and then the Kate Steinle law. I mean, I don't know if people 
have listened to the podcast that we explain who Kate Steinle is um, and why this is so disgraceful that Trump is actually using my friend from high school um, who died completely randomly, was shot by uh, an undocumented person who found a gun. He, he, it seemed like he was mentally ill. He was shooting randomly and a bullet struck her and killed her. It was the most bizarre incident ever. And it got hyped up in the media and by Trump to say that undocumented immigrants are, are murderers, criminals. This is a perfect example of why we need to shut down sanctuary cities. And it's become this rallying cry where they actually created a law, Kate Law. So that's just another horrible thing that happened that I just can't even stomach. Um, and another thing that was really funny that happened is that... Uh, Buzz was it BuzzFeed or the Daily Beast? The Daily, Daily Beast, Beast like pretended like they they got this like giant scoop Sketch about Spencer how Ackerman. the Gitmo inmates watch Russian propaganda. Wow. Yeah. Well, first of all, that's probably because you're uh, illegally occupying a sovereign nation, still going on over our, um, fifty years now of illegally occupying Cuba. Cuba is socialist, of course. They have RT there. Um, and also we broke that on our podcast, uh, three years ago when I went to Guantanamo and talked to lawyers of the prisoners who said that they watched my show and loved it. So a little bit behind this times. Yeah. It's, it's about two years uh, uh, to be, to be exact. Um, he's two years behind our, I don't even think of it as a scoop. I mean, it was kind of an amusing, almost like an anecdote from your visit to Gitmo is that they watch RT, um, and they've seen your show as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you, you heard about that, but like through the grapevine there. So that was very fascinating to us. But, but Daily Beast would have never reported on the fact that Gitmo inmates were watching Breaking the Set. Right. You know, their whole spin was, look how awful it is that they, they're watching Russian propaganda. Not, look how awful it is that the U.S. has an illegal gulag with all these people <laughs> who aren't charged with the crime. Indefinitely. Or are still just there. That's yeah. how fucking stupid Daily Beast is. I mean, just yeah. think for stop for a second and think about it. that's how much of a bug up their asses they have about Russia. And they, and let's face it, BuzzFeed is, was at the tip of the spear. And I'm sorry, I was saying I meant Daily Beast <laughs> was at the tip of the spear with planting the seeds for this kind of propaganda at the very beginning. That's where all the Liz Wall stuff started. Jamie Kirchick's exclusive interview was in the Daily Beast. Jamie Kirchick, fellow of Foreign Policy Initiative, which I don't even remember that being under his Daily Beast credits. Mm-hmm. Like they, he didn't mention that back then. Now he does because it's like it's almost like out in the open now, and you know everybody figured out what the fuck was happening with that orchestrated Liz Wall nonsense. Yeah. But yeah, so what else? What yeah. Is there anything we else we didn't mention about how awful the media? Is right I mean, now. I mean, I guess we can go to the reality winner thing. We don't have to. I mean, it's it's just like a really, really sad story that this woman, you know, on the heels of all the Russiagate stuff, she thought that she came across a smoking gun and, and wanted to publish it. And in the process got outed by Sam Biddle at The Intercept. And so that was a really sad story where this well, woman Sam is going Biddle to jail. Sam Biddle and three other authors. And oh. I, I, I don't have the article pulled up in front of me right now, but... But yeah, three other authors, two of them who have a history of burning sources before, not Sam Biddle, but two other guys um, who worked on the article as well. It's so screwed up. Yeah. It's just so screwed up. Um, So this woman is going to jail now, and Mm -hmm. it's just awful, 
Um, it's just something that should never be an acceptable practice. Like these people should know better, especially since this guy has had a, a, a record of burning sources. Don't you think you would go through every single avenue that you possibly could to protect this person? First whistleblower casualty under the Trump administration. Very, very early into his presidency. And, and uh, yeah, because she was leaking something, apparently, that she was trying to show that Russian government spearfish attacked a bunch of uh, U.S. government systems, like sent, like, password, tried to, like, hack the passwords from them. It's like a spearfishing, uh, like, malware attempt attack. Uh, because she tried to leak a document like that to The Intercept, um you know, people are saying, oh, she's like a Russiagate conspiracy, like Russian truther or whatever. And it's like, well, so what if she was? Like, just because she leaks something trying to reinforce a narrative that you don't agree with doesn't mean you shouldn't support a whistleblower. It's the same with not supporting Chelsea Manning and not supporting Julian Assange because of partisanship. Get your head out of your ass. These people are going to jail. Trump is going to amp up prosecutions for journalists. Look at J20. Where's the resistance on J-20 protesters? Over 200 people are still facing up to 80 years in prison for a broken window. I mean, this is, this is the reality under Trump. Reality winner is, is one of many um, people who are now going to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law to create a, a massive chilling effect. I mean, it's just astounding to me that there's so many people facing these crazy, crazy charges for protesting. Yeah, this is why, partly why the Russiagate narrative and how much airtime that it's swallowing up is really harmful because genuine liberal concerns like this, civil rights concerns about journalism under the Trump era or even protesting, you know, during the era of Trump um, is just being completely ignored. And, you know, I sometimes I, you know, it's hard for me to keep track of all the other awful things that are going on. Because of how much airtime this is taking up, so yeah, and also the 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 J twenty protesters, it's completely unprecedented. The amount of prosecutorial overreach is like hammering down on these people. They actually added all these felony charges like weeks after. Um, they just keep ramping up the charges just to scare the shit out of everyone. Um, it is unbelievable. Everyone should look into this case and really do whatever you can. I mean, donate to the fund. This is going to set the standard for how we protest in this country. This has never happened before. And the charges being t added on top of that, which added like other very serious charges. Um, and this is all being swept under the rug. And this was this was deliberately coordinated by the Trump campaign. He probably, you know, he anticipated the mass protests and he totally unleashed a police state to proportions that I had actually never seen. The inability to demonstrate, the inability to even be there as a protester. We were waiting in line for four hours just to get into a designated protest zone. And even then, you're deliberately kept away from anything that you would want to be protesting. So it, this, is, this is the reality now, guys. And if you don't stand up for this, what the hell do you stand up for? But Antifa, they're dangerous, Abby. right. right. So all protesters are either Soros paid or Antifa terrorists. I mean, this is the problem with the the concept of everything I don't like is a psyop. Right. Everything I don't like is the deep state. I mean, it is like the conspiracy mindset just taken into this partisan dog shit, you know, uh, trench. So that's where it is right now.
Yeah, I mean, there's so many people trying to co-opt this energy and the intellect away and just stay on point, stay stay a critical thinker, stay media literate, understand, you know, <clears throat> all the different agendas going on here, you know? And, and and like we said before, I mean, there is so much fake news that actually is a thing. So don't just believe everything that you see online just because it's not CNN. Um, you know, everything is pretty much being distorted right now. Support the people who are doing the work um, and get out there yourself. Be a part of the struggle, participate in the struggle, um, reach out to like minds, um, get active. You know, don't be disempowered or disillusioned with, with how horrible things are. I know it's really easy to say that, but it never it never hurts to go out there and really connect with other people because that, that, that's really the only thing we have right now. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's, I think it's easy, too easy these days to want to, you know, sort of milk the social media, um, machinery to just sort of get clicks like, 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 I don't want to say clickbait, but, you know, releasing videos, you know, every day about every single subject that's in the mainstream media and to put your own spin on it. You know, there's nothing necessarily inherently wrong with that, but I think that doing actual investigative reporting on the ground activism, those kinds of things are actually more effective, more valuable for the, for the movement, I think. I mean, yeah. Hopefully this Venezuela stuff will be relevant for the next decade. I mean, it's it's a slice of history that no one else is showing. Everyone's abandoned what's going on there. They feel like it's not important. Um leftist publications are are equating both sides as equally um, corrupt and guilty and it's just it's just bullshit and I think that you know as multiple countries maintain in the crosshairs of empire our job as adversarial journalists as um, advocacy journalists is to stand up to the empire's lies and regime change propaganda dissect it criticize it undermine it at every chance we have because that is our only chance to stop this no yeah I it is <laughs> And it has to be done carefully and with some discretion because it is very easy to whatever you don't agree with to just say that, oh, that's a a deep state propaganda or that's MSM lies. I mean, that's not how it should work. Um, It's good to be skeptical, but it's not healthy to just be skeptical only when it fits your preconceived agenda or or notions. I guess we should wrap it up um, unless you have anything else to add. No, I mean, you were going to give a little shout out to Twin Peaks. Yeah, Twin Peaks, um, a show that I actually neglected to watch when it was originally first on the air. Um, it has returned to television. It's an 18-episode season. It's about halfway through right now. But it is absolutely incredible. Every episode is directed by David Lynch, um, who has a great filmography, Um and the episode eight specifically of the show was um, really intense. Uh, there was a scene that happens about halfway through the episode that I think would be especially appealing to Media Roots listeners. Um, uh, it's kind of uh, symbolizes the horror of, of what mankind has done to itself in a really good sort of way. So I really enjoyed the new Twin Peaks show and I just wanted to you know, tell people to check out something at the end of the broadcast also so it can leave it on a positive note. 
and I wanted to also mention this is blatantly on Wikipedia. This is not, and this is, and this is was actually a huge surprise to me, is that Venezuela ranks number one in the world of proven reserve oil reserves. Yep, number one above yep. Saudi Arabia. Yep, and you don't think that the U.S. and the corporate oligarchy and and all these corporate oil companies across the world aren't going to try to fucking get their hands on that? Don't like I, all these people just respond to me and they're like, oh, like, of course, it's always the U.S. And it's like, well, I mean, if I, I lived mean, in any other country, I would agree with you. But we do live in the empire that has its tentacles literally in every country in the world. Yeah. And it's and not, the ones it's that it not doesn't are trying the US to anymore. That's not how it change. works. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It would just be our machinery. A lot right. of cor- international corporations dictate what our military has done historically. That's a fact. And like you said, it's U.S. corporations. Yeah, corporations that, that started here that now are are monsters that are all all across the globe. I mean, except That's for globalism, uh, you know, baby. I mean, there's British Petroleum. There's other companies that started in Europe. You know, um, there's there's Japanese companies. There's other you know huge companies that started in other countries. But most of the most damaging corporations started in the United States. I mean, you could rank that too if you really want to. I don't think anyone's actually like done a. Yeah, that's 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 essentially what the Trump bill is. The Trump health care bill. It is giant, massive tax breaks, even more so than already exists for, you know, the wealthiest of the wealthy and also giant corporations. Giant corporations already pay virtually no taxes. But this is like this is just a giant gift to these people. But yeah, Trump really is trying to stamp out globalism. That (laughs) is globalism. Yeah. He's making globalism worse. Like if you guys are, oh God. And then they just scapegoat the the symptoms, you know, immigration, mm-hmm. refugees. So yeah, let's go block refugee boats um, and call it civil disobedience. I mean, we are living in just such a topsy-turvy reality, Robbie. Thank God for you. And thank God for all the, thank God, thank the Lord <laughs> for all of our listeners um, who, who keep us sane and who give us the feedback that you guys agree you know, I mean, it gives me so much hope, actually, when I hear some of the things that you guys think about what we say, because it really it, it is isolating. But um, that's why we all need to show up and we all need to be involved with each other and keep the conversation going so we can all keep each other going. Thanks for listening. Donate to our Patreon. As we said before, um, we are going to have the goal of four episodes a month. So, yeah, we'd love to make that happen. Um, thanks so much, you guys. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Check us out. Cool. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Please, I'll, I'll echo what Abby said again. Please donate to us on Patreon. And uh, please support other alternative media that you feel is doing its own thing and that it's doing the right thing. And um, thank you. And have a good day. Good day. Peace out.